Hello, Jason. Uh, got your message last night, and uh, today was able to pick up episode 23 of This Old Dungeon with the guest being Jason Hobbs himself. All of your Hobbs goblins will be listening into this and getting a kick out of it, I'm sure. You guys went several hours, I think about, uh, what, 13 and a half hours of recorded footage uh, knocked down to just a little over two uh, after being edited, so long-winded, but tearing apart the secret of Bone Hill uh, by you uh, OSR scholars was a wonderful learning experience for fresh uh, game masters such as myself to learn from. Thank you for having the Greek <laughs> geek cred that you brought to the table. Uh, we're all winners because of you. Uh, and, and again, uh, keep up the screeding, Hobbs, and it was really good to hear you on a uh, very nicely done podcast. Larry Hout, ladies and gentlemen, from uh, Mumfrey's RPG Musings Beginnings. Damn it, I messed it up again, Larry. Sorry, buddy. Yes, I was on this old dungeon. Yes, we recorded for a long time. The 13 hours might be a gross exaggeration, but uh, it was a pretty fun conversation. We got into a lot of interesting stuff, not the least of which being the secret of Bone Hill and uh, how you can make it better or what you thought about it. And I, as I tried to listen to the episode, I think I did. I finished it. It uh, uh, Lou did a pretty good job of trying to edit out some stuff, but... I can definitely see where we were rambly and went in circles a few times and said the same things repetitively. I'm not sure what you mean by a good edited put together podcast though. Jeez, you ever listen to Hobbs and Friends? I think there's like 73 episodes, man. Or maybe you mean what have I done for you lately? I can understand that. I get it. So, I'm curious if any of you guys out there are fans of the secret of bone hill or are curious about it as i mentioned there it was uh one of the first adventures i played coming back to i don't even know if that's true it might have been n1 uh the reptile one in that other town like called ozma or ozum or something i'm not sure but uh, pretty interesting stuff uh, enjoyed talking uh champions and some things with some other guys it kind of cracks me up. Lou's like me. I mean, I usually surround myself with dudes who know way more about the subject than what I'm talking about. And so I'm learning as uh, all the listeners do. So I appreciate uh, his position uh, in that podcast. Um, what do you guys think about The Secret of Bone Hill? Go listen to that episode and uh, respond here with any thoughts that you might have on it. I have some things I also wanted to talk about today. So let's listen to our Fed and we'll get into it. Thanks again for calling, Larry. Of course, my geek cred is legit. I was pretty nervous with the Conan questions from Bill Barsh, which I was pretty nervous about the Conan questions in general because it is such a wide and massive. Um, just, you know, that brand is huge. There's so many different ways you could ask about it. And I mean, he went to a dog's name in a particular Conan story and Conan through Marvel Comics. I don't even know what Conan questions I could have answered. I wanted to talk about the Gunderson. The guy he only called Gunderson. Like, what was Gunderson's real name or something? I still don't know the answer to that. But like I had mentioned in the podcast, my plan was to have uh, Robert Nemeth or Nola Burt on 
speed dial so I could phone a friend on those questions. And I did ask him what uh, what the Conan's or what the dog's name was or what they named him in that uh, they lit story, and he knew. So it would have worked out. But good thing that Lou asked some uh, paintball questions for sure. And I did come together with that uh, Nomads of the Desert Sands hex crawl one too. So win-win. I'm glad you got your prize. And as I said, let's hear it from Arfid. If he is up or down, his podcast still comes round. Hobbs is in his van. Don't turn off that sad nap man. Random screed, random screed. Don't know what you get, but it's what you need. It's what you need, screeders. Hello. As previously mentioned, we heard from uh, Larry in the beginning there and uh, talking about my escapades on this old dungeon that released uh, maybe last week. But I had some topic, at least one topic that I recall that I wanted to talk to you about. It's the next day. Uh, That's the way it goes sometimes when you're doing these things. I should say that... Today, <laughs> oh my god, this is the worst intro ever. All right, screeters, let's try that again. Thanks to our fed, thanks to uh, Larry uh, for that intro call in and uh, the wonderful singing introduction. So, I got to play uh, Valley of the Manicore with Elliot again last night. We added a new player because uh, Brasco is uh, has a class. He's a professor, an art professor. He has a class that is going to get over a little later, and I was like adamant that I thought we had a new person, and so we fortunately got to add Brian Tackle. It's me, Brasco, Tackle, and Elliot back together again. It's been 10 or 12 years since we've all been back together again in the same game, so... I don't know if it was weird for Robert Nemeth last night, Nola Burt, because uh, Taylor, Edwin were missing. So it was like old old guard and one new guard. But when Taylor and uh, Edwin get back, I think it will narrow it or narrow, balance itself out. We, um, we had some fun. We went exploring in the valley, which was not what necessarily, I guess, what our intention is, but that's what we did. And my new snake staff was stolen by presumably the Dream Thief. And I can tell you, I was not happy. There was one chance at a saving throw, apparently, when the dude shows up. And if you fail it, then he can take whatever he wants. He doesn't kill you, but you just lose. Talk about save or suck. I don't know if that's a Jacob Fleming thing or if that was an Elliot uh, read of what was intended, but I was not happy. Turn right onto the ramp to US 20 East, then bridge onto US 20 East. What are you going to do? So the only answer is chase the MFR down and get your shit back. That's it. That's all you can do. So we decided to follow these tracks and head along through the valley taking short notice of much else but we did 
we, oh, geez, sorry guys. We did get to fill out the hex map a little more, which was cool. And I think Continue we found, I think we found the lair of the dream thief. I have to admit, it's a, uh, apparently we have not explored anything that was in the actual adventure written by Jacob Fleming in Valley of the Manicor. Uh, these are all things that were written up by Elliot, except the valley itself. We're starting to get to the bottom of a mystery, which is a little scary since I think my cleric, Alad, has barely reached second level. I don't know if we went into the conversation about clearing out the shrine, but uh, yeah, here's an actual play report from session seven or eight. Six, maybe? I don't know. We had heard rumors that there was a cave troll. So, but Alad, my character, definitely wanted to find this shrine and uh, get his own god, Ouroboros, into it and get people worshipping him because he is a proselytizer. Speaks how important it is in the circle of life. Many folks call the Red Cult a cult of death, but... I'm not so sure that's accurate. We're a cult of life, ends and new beginnings. But, there, it was indeed a cave troll. I had a light spell. Darius, our illusionist, had a light spell. We figured we had two chances at blinding this troll and getting him out of there and chasing him off like we did the Manicore. But, he made both saves. Oh my gosh, I thought we were all goners. We're all first level. Celeste has four hit points, I think. Darius has four hit points. I have six hit points or something. So it would easily be able to kill two of us per round. And it has a pretty easy chance of hitting us. But we only got a few scratches and I think we uh, sundered a shield or two. And that's when I got a hit in with my uh, snake staff which on an attack, it can turn into a giant snake that immobilizes the opponent. If it fails, it's safe, and he failed that save, so he immobilized and killed him. Rules is written, it seems like a pretty powerful item. All you have to do is hit. I thought I needed a natural 20 to do it, which I did get at that moment, so that's why I even looked up the rules. But uh, yeah, it was uh, tense and scary, but... It's amazing what some first-level characters in OSE can do. Now it's time for Home Rule Corner. This includes a little recap of uh, Clerics Well Wear Ringmail's inaugural session of the Ash Coast. We're in uh, three of us um, infiltrated and scouted reconnoitered at the bronze ziggurat. It, uh, it went okay. Um, there's only three of us. A couple, uh, three fighting men. I had a strength of seven. But I don't know, I mean, I keep telling people it doesn't matter that much what your attributes are. The answer isn't on your character sheet. The answer is the methodology that you use to attempt to uh, serpentine through situations for shenanigans. 
and a lot of times there's options. In the previous recap, I didn't go into it too much about Valley of the Manicor, but during the fight with that troll, we survived a couple rounds, and it looked like my companions were, were all fine just to swing and swing and swing until we were dead. But I was like, there's no way we're going to survive this. Let's check out the environment. What's who, Who's got some... Who's got any equipment? What what are our options here? Should we flee? Is there a way to knock it off the ledge on this cliff face? What what are our options, you know? And I think that's an important distinction that will allow... That's what they talk about when they talk about player skill, in my opinion. Not necessarily system mastery, because that would be a different thing. But player skill. In Regardless... Hours, take exit 122A for US 20 East toward Belvedere. Back to the Ash Coast... We, uh, we made it to the ziggurat and we did some searching and as inevitably happens, we got into a bit of a scrum with some uh, presumably cultists. Uh, we sent our archer up on a raised stairwell uh, and we blocked the choke point so he could rain down arrows and we could keep them off of him. Uh, there were eight of them and only three of us, so action economy and especially a game like OSE if they have missile weapons he could have a, a problem he's got some cover though just because of the way it works and we're playing OD&D plus chainmail um, uh, I don't even know what we're playing to be honest and it doesn't matter that much to me um, I don't think until there's a situation where one of the uh, cultists does have a sling and fires back at our archer and uh, hits a natural 20. So now, now what happens? We had talked about... In half having, a mile, take exit 122A for US 20 East toward Belvedere. We had talked about, you know, the stairwell being cover against the opponents that are down. We had the high ground, Luke, so we're going to win. But he had, the opponent rolled a natural 20. Our archer only has one hit point. So now what happens? Uh, take Taylor, exit 122A. Taylor mentioned that cover works a little differently in OD&D. I don't know how it works. I, I've never, I don't have the LBBs. I mean, I have Delving Deeper, but I have to admit I haven't read it, and I don't know where it is. It's in storage somewhere. But Taylor at requested a death save, and if you if he makes it, then uh, the bolt is blocked off of the stairway or something. And so he made it. He made it three times for three other attacks that uh, likely would have hit. So, first of all, I don't know exactly how Taylor was doing these mechanics or how they worked. I don't necessarily have to know how they worked. I can only talk about how I felt in play during their execution. And it was, is he fudging? Is he not wanting to kill a character in the first session? what uh what's what's going on here and i didn't really like it i have to admit but uh as the days passed after the session ended and we and i talked about it to myself and considered you know what had happened and what was going on i compared it to the death save rule that i use in my OSE games, which means when your character goes to zero hit points, 
uh, when someone gets to you, they can attempt to roll the body and see if you're alive. You roll a death save to find out if your character is alive or not. If you succeed, he is, and then we roll on a mortal wounds table to see, you know, what happened. Because when you go to zero hit points, there should be some sort of cost or ramifications of that. The uh, In this situation, I don't think there was a cost. I don't recall that happening. But I consider what really was the difference between a death save without going unconscious or a death save with going unconscious. In the old spike pit save or suck idea, it seems to me that keeping a, a player engaged in the game slash combat, if that's what's happening, is a better rule than uh, not keeping them in the game. So I'm considering in making this the way I run my OSE games, whereas when a character is hit by a, a, an attack that would take them to zero hit points that they choose not to sunder their shield or they have no shield to sunder, they get a death save. If they fail it, uh, their character has expired. If they succeed it, we roll on the mortal wounds table and we see what happens from there, but they're still in the fight. <clears throat> so what do you guys think about that? I don't know. I'm considering it. What I do know Today was Friday, August 19th, 2022. I am Jason Hobbs, and this was Random Screed. <laughs>